Hello, welcome back to a brand new Coronation Overreaction. I'm your host, Greg Bahochko. That guy over there, Hoss Reuter. Hoss, it's good seeing you again, and it's good celebrating another dub. Yes, it is, Greg. And you know what they call three in a row? That's a streak, a win- baby. That's a winning streak. A winning streak. And one more, by God, to bull eligibility. I feel like I'm on the verge of like cutting a Ric Flair 1980s WCW <laughs> promo because I'm so fucking excited. Well, you know, it, well, we'll get there. Um, but I like how Matt Rule just a few weeks ago uh, said, hey, when, when looking at you know, I think he was asked at a press conference or something about that about the rest of the schedule. I think this was after the Michigan game. He says, "There's not a team out there that we can't beat. There's not a team out there that can't beat us." Exactly. You know, walk the razor's edge. And what Nebraska was able to do this past Saturday, they had they had no business winning the game. Five turnovers. The defense. We've said it before. The defense. They deserve a break, but they deserve like all the nil money. Throw all the nil money at this defense that because and a quarterback. <laughs> hmm? That and a quarterback. We could use one of those two. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the defense, uh, you know, w- well, let's get into it. Uh, scoreless first quarter, Nebraska looking like they had against at the well. Uh, at, at the beginning of the Northwest, Northwestern game a little over a week ago, at the end of the Illinois game, just stumbling out of the gate. They uh, muffed the uh, – I, I can't remember now. if, if I think they lost that kickoff um, on a on a fumble, but the defense held. You know, the, the story of the season at post-Michigan is the defense held. You know, um, th- the first score of the game doesn't happen until Nebraska uh, finally gets into the end zone almost five minutes into the second quarter. When that first quarter is going on and you're watching Nebraska offense, not the defense, but the offense, just continue to mistake after mistake, uh, give the ball away. What's your thought? Because I'm, I'm screaming internally. Um. You know what? Earlier in the season, I was screaming internally. Now I've tried to take the approach of just accepting the offense for what it is. Okay. And, you know, celebrating the successes. So, if, like, we get a seven-yard run. Damn, that's seven yards, you know. That is, yeah. You know, that's, a, that's a big accomplishment. But right in this game, I found myself, and it's funny that you mention this because I have the perfect anecdote from the game. After we went up 7 nothing. Or oh, after we went up 14, nothing. Sorry. We got the ball back on another stop. And I was so excited to get the ball back. I'm like, yeah, let's go down there, put some more points on the board. Mm-hmm. And then as I'm watching our offense line up, and I'm just kind of, you know, looking at who's on the field, you know, Harburg, Emmett Johnson, you know, the freshman receivers, Fedoni. And I'm just like, it kind of brought me back to earth on what we're working with right now. Right. And I just kind of took a deep breath and I was like, let's just get some yards, maybe flip field position a little bit, you know? So like the expectations, like I'm not burning internally <laughs> now, like I was against Minnesota, Colorado, Northern. Right. By the time Northern Illinois wrapped up, I was kind of like, okay, I know what we are. We're a young team. that's going to have to figure it out. Now, yeah. uh, Fox put up a, a graphic and I don't, 
like we we talk about it and we talk about the um the the offense and all the injuries but because they've happened over time i don't you know we didn't we don't, we don't necessarily feel the 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 blunt of it or but brunt brunt not blunt blunt is it's like death of a thousand but, cuts well but but then fox put up a graphic that said that since the they basically the the week 1 starters and the week nine starters, I guess eight eight out of eleven are new faces that didn't start against Minnesota on that Thursday night game, uh, and it, it, it we knew about it because we talked about it. You know, we lost all the linemen uh, last week against Northwestern and a quarterback and a couple of receivers and a couple of running backs and and they've just all slowly f- fallen away. But when you got hit with the eight out of eleven guys. And that Nebraska is still finding ways. Like this is a team. If 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 these circumstances were being presented to our former head coach, but we're looking at like one or two wins. Oh yeah, if not winless. I mean, I'll. I'll this is the I same. It's the same guy who started zero and six with the team that had a lot of NFL guys on it. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. I I, I have a, a a difficult time uh, conceding to any group of five directional <laughs> so, schools. So sorry, sorry uh, to offend the Northern Illinois uh, Huskies or the LaTeX of the world. Um, but no, no I, just, go ahead. Th- that's a really good point about how we've weathered the storm despite mm-hmm. losing eight of our original eleven offensive starters. And it makes you wonder, like, what would we look like right now if all the starters, if we still had all the stars, if we had one of those years that we were injury free, right? Major injury free, which law of averages says that year's got to be coming around for us <laughs> at some point, because I swear we've been plagued by injuries like this for the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. So if we had our full complement of the guys that we went through fall camp with on the offensive side of the football, there's a really good chance that, you know, we're scoring. We're, we're probably still five and three, but we're scoring a lot more points because, you know, Minnesota, Colorado to start the year, that's two of our losses. We were right. never beating Michigan, but I want to – Yeah, but se- they were cheating, so, you know. I, I want to segue real quick over to the talk about Minnesota and Colorado okay. here. Okay. If we were to play them within the next two weeks – we would win both those games Mm -hmm. and i think that there is we might have to go dig it up on this podcast between you and i but i think that there is a discussion somewhere that we both said that we thought we would finish with a better record than Deion sanders in colorado you said it i know uh and i um quoted or, or paraphrased uh john johnston who said it on five heart but said that that Nebraska would finish with a higher with, with with a better record than than Dion and the Buffs. And right now we're five and three and they're four and four. Yeah. And you know what? I know I talked about getting a rematch with them in like the Las Vegas Bowl, but I've reached a point where it's fuck that. I don't want to, you know, they can they can be even worse. You know, let's go to a better bowl game than the Vegas Bowl. I have a feeling that if if the two teams were to meet again, we would see just how dirty they could be. Yep. Probably, you know, and, and I don't want to risk uh, an off season of growth. I don't want to risk an off season of of you know getting you know uh, getting guys healed up. You know from the, the 
I either the ones who have been out for a while or the ones who've been playing this whole time. I don't, I don't want I, your body needs to recover from a football season. I mean, it needs to recover from from anything. For me, it needs to recover from going up the stairs. You know, and that's why the the first thing I do when I go to upstairs is I climb into bed because I'm only I'm making I have, I have a, an X amount of, of trips upstairs in my body every day. And that last one is carrying me. Now, sometimes, as we joke, I fall asleep in my chair. And so the last one's really the first one of the next day when I'm crawling up to bed at three thirty four in the morning. Oh, that's always an interesting <laughs> It's, when you it's wake up on a uh, in the living room. It's the worst, but uh, <laughs> uh, but no, but I don't I don't want look injuries happen in football. I get that Nebraska certainly knows that, but I don't I don't. We saw what Colorado did to Adrian Martinez. You know, we saw it, it's not. And I I also think that especially if the game went the way that we foresee the game would go if we were to meet them again this year, I just see them being really chippy. And I just see them being really bitter and I just see them and I'm not, this is not a a Sean Payton mandate or or anything like that. I'm not saying that Dion is necessarily endorsing this, but I I would think that those players would get extra chippy and and start, you know, Hey ref, look over there and, you know, stomp a toe or uh, we, we, the worst thing that could happen in, in football, we, we saw back in 2009, Texas A&M, when our uh, was it Mike McNeil was getting punched in the tank? Ben Cotton. Was it Ben Cotton? I thought it was McNeil. Ben Cotton getting punched in the old cotton balls. Oh God! Um, I'm but a, yeah, I'm a, um, you know, to the point about the offense and how they've, you know, when we were discussing personnel and how they could have grown game over game if we had stayed healthy. I thought I think that with a new coaching staff and personnel that they had to deal contend with this year that this original complement of the personnel, if they could have stayed healthy, you would have seen them develop week over week because mm-hmm. it takes Satterfield, you know, time to get used to who he has. I know people can say, Hey, he's got fall camp. He's, you know, got practice to decide what he's got. Well, you know, there's a big difference still between practice and, the live game situation. I'm a big believer in you pra- you play the way you practice, but there's some things in practice that you just cannot replicate in games, you know, and how a defense, how a defense decides to defend against you right. in offense is one of them. You know, you can have a good idea, but there's always still wrinkles or, you know, sometimes you just can't quite replicate that same athleticism on the scout team. But I would have really liked to see with how we're taking hold as like an option based quarterback run team what would have happened had you know Gabe Irvin stayed healthy and been Mm -hmm. able to get the hammer back what could have happened if you know maybe Xavier Betts doesn't leave the team you know maybe Eric Gilbert you know is granted eligibility he never has that you know running with the law to get him arrested and you know along with Marcus Washington staying healthy you know because right now the run game starting to figure itself out and we'll get, we'll touch more on that later, both from a quarterback run game and a tailback run game, the offensive line starting to figure itself out a little bit Which right now. What's crazy. really the governor on this offense is just the lack of skill and the lack of speed on the perimeter. Now you can see when we have speed on the perimeter, Jalen Lloyd, Jaden Doss, Malachi Coleman, but the the skill elements a little lacking there just ba- on the basis of them being young guys you know? and I, 
I don't want to I don't want to use the word immaturity, but inexperience at this level. Inexperience, yeah. Um, and and look, you mentioned there's been plenty of, of flowers given to Tony White, and rightfully so. Uh, for the, the million dollars a year, I'm serious. Give, uh, sign that contract the day after Nebraska's last game, and 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 write him up. I don't think Marcus Satterfield's getting enough credit. He's coaching his balls off. He and 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 to to do it with, you know, we talked about losing eight of eleven starter, you know, game one starters, um, a lot of of pieces being thrown in just to see, kind of, you know, it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and not only that, but unlike offensive coordinators of the past, he's managing the players that he has he's scheming to the talent he has not trying to put the uh square peg in the round hole yeah he's not trying to install his offense year one and live with it warts and all like we've seen other coordinators do you know whether that's bill callahan or you know tim beck in 2011 or danny langsdorf or scott frost to a lesser extent um, because that 2018 offense was actually quite good. Or Mark Whipple. Oh, God. <laughs> I couldn't I I couldn't resist. I had to <laughs> I had to do it because I know it would it make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. The worst. It's like hearing nails <laughs> on a chalkboard when I hear that name. Oh well, I gotta tell you this. Uh so so you know we've got three boys. Uh mm-hmm. and the twins are will be three uh here in February. So, sooner than you know it feels like. And Rob, the older of the twin, he he's coming into this thing here recently where he's grinding his teeth. Oh, ugh. and like I I know that like hey, but grind your teeth, it's not bad. I mean, that's not good for your teeth, but something about that just if if my if there, if we had a cat, it would make my cat like it, it would make the cat jump from like normal to jumping all. That's what it does to my wife. She's like, Gah! you know, she. <laughs> I just sit back. I'm like. Yep, don't grind your teeth, bud. It's not good for yeah, your teeth. Not good. Yeah, we don't want to. Take, yeah, dentists, they're expensive. Yep. yep. Anyway, uh, that's, sorry about that side. No, part. no, no. You know, you're good. Anytime there's a Mark Whipple comment, we need to have as many uh, <laughs> lighthearted verbally as we can. Yeah, about. Uh, but what I was gonna say is, you know, what we're running right now, and this is a part of the acceptance of where we're at as an offense that we were talking about earlier, where I'm not burning internally. No. You know, one of the thing that one thing that I really admire about Satterfield is just accepting where we're at, running what can is our best chance to win with the full knowledge that this is not what ultimately they want to run here. You know, that speaks volumes to a coach when they're able to adapt like that. That's what good coaching is. You know, that's why, you know, for example, Bill Callahan probably could have gone to a bowl game his very first year at Nebraska if he would have leaned on the run more instead mm-hmm. of airing it out as much as he did. And so when you look at the offense in totality, the addition of the option, the option pass, you started to see a little bit too late for my tastes in the game against Purdue, but you still started to see it, was a reliance on the tailback run game, the traditional handoff run game to salt the game away. Now, when option is our best opportunity to gain yards, but when you're having a – fumbling problem and you pretty oh you almost let purdue get back in this thing 
with the fumbles. Yeah. You need to like I I appreciate what Rule said about do you want to win the game or do you want to play football? And they wanted to keep playing, so they kept playing the way that they had their game plan, you know, laid out, you know, including with the option. But at some point, like in those situations, you need to kind of weigh out the odds and go with the most safe option. Get into the eye, get into the pistol, run the tailback downhill. You know, and like that's why I liked on like, you know, Emmett Johnson's touchdown run. It was mm-hmm. a 49ers play. You know, Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers run. It's counter solid. The line blocks without pulling any offensive lineman. And then an H back and like two H backs or an H back and a fullback lead through as the pullers. Great way to seal the front. Don't let any run throughs and still have that same counter action in, uh, you know, to get the defense flowing one way and come back the other. The big thing with that is it's low risk. You just right. the snap and hand off. So I want to see if we're in a four-minute situation again in the future, maybe, you know, against Michigan State or Maryland, Wisconsin, Iowa. I'd like to see us kind of lean more on that complement of plays out of the eye formation that we started to see against Purdue late. And then we kind of – I don't know if we got impatient. I don't know if that would be a right way to describe it. But with the chippiness of the game, I think that our own staff and our own team wanted to keep piling on points because of how Purdue – you know, Purdue was talking a lot of shit in that game. Right. I Talk about pulling guards, uh, you know, or, or pulling linemen, I guess, in general. Correct me if I'm wrong. In watching that game, it seemed like when we polled to – Whatever side the you know to the to the motion side or the ball side, whatever, we were getting some backside defenders who were just racing in and 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 causing some disruption in the backfield. You don't want that either. I feel like I know there's not a good way to you can't really like push a, a, a lineman or a linebacker off and then pull. Like you gotta be there, but we I think that was just the situation of of Purdue it has they have a really good uh was it linebacker? Is that Jenkins. uh uh yeah, Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. That guy. That's a Sunday guy. Yeah, you know. Uh, and he, he's he's, he's a little bit of that a lot asshole of shit. you were talking about though. What was that? He's a little bit of that asshole you were talking about though. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Emmett Johnson's gonna take probably a lot of shit in the film room this week. You know, when he tried to tackle Jenkins on the fumble return, he gets buzz sawed off of one of uh, Jenkins' legs. You know, that's a that's a dude. That's the kind of dude that you know. For years, we used to lament, "Why don't we have a guy like that on our defense?" Mm-hmm. And got a whole defense full of guys like that yeah at wreak havoc you know so offensively though to kind of finish up before we transition to the defensive side of the football but you're you're pretty quick to just uh get rid of that offense well you know it gives me a lot of heartburn a lot of agita to talk about but that offense did put up we do need to cover some more topics offensively but that Um, offense did put up a a three three touchdowns including You know, I mean, you mentioned uh, uh, Emma Johnson, uh, which again sealed it late, and, and you certainly mentioned uh, Jalen Lloyd. But in that Malachi Coleman, who's going to take the top off the defense? That I mean, when's the last time we saw us? Uh, well, okay, that's not fair because that was last year with <laughs> Trey Palmer. <laughs> no, but point taken. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's been a long time. Yeah. You know, and that 73 yard touchdown run that again put, I didn't mean to it cut you off there. I'm sorry, yeah, sir. Yeah, okay. Uh, helped give Nebraska a two score lead going into the locker room. Um, that that was exciting, 
you know, because this has not been an offense that has created a lot of excitement this season. No, they have not created a lot of excitement. You know, in that 15-play, 87-yard drive for the first touchdown, it was methodical. Mm -hmm. You know, you could tell that Satterfield had game planned some rollouts for Harburg. You know, if he's going to sidearm it to the right, you might as well roll him out to the right. and Give him every advantage you can. Yep, and that's, you know, that's something that previous staffs really did not do here. You know, that's why, like, when you look at what this staff does to maximize – uh, what the players can do and to minimize the liabilities out there on the field. This is a Big Ten coaching staff. We saw for years, we saw other staffs do that in this conference, but we never saw our staffs do that. Right. Like that play uh, where Harburg threw a little dump off to Joshua Fleeks, who was lined up in the backfield. It's kind of on a mesh concept. Um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you would see other coordinators in the Big Ten do, but Nebraska would never do. Nebraska would never just simplify things, you know, and just go out there and take what the defense, you know, exploit the defense where they aren't. I mean, leave something open. To that point, I feel like Nebraska's had a bad habit the last, uh, we'll say at least 10 years of trying to be the uh, the smartest kid in the room. Yes. You know, yes. and, and it, so I, I heard this every bit of 21 years ago when I was in radio school. And they said, brevity is the soul of wit. It's a Mark Twain quote. And I agree 100% with that. There's no reason to overcomplicate. Yep. You know, keep, you, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> it's always so tempting to overcomplicate things or to show that you're the smartest person in the room, too, because it's self congratulatory. You know, right. people, there, there's a reason why there's a phrase, you know, don't get drunk off your own successes, because a lot of people enjoy getting drunk off their own success. And you just can't do that. You know, like Frost, the concepts that he ran, that he called, they were beautifully constructed. They looked great on a whiteboard, you know, just couldn't execute them. But on the field where it mattered. (laughs) I mean, most of the time, like against Illinois in 2021 to start the season, we had guys running wide ass open all game long in their secondary. Mm Mm-hmm. We didn't have the offensive line to protect the quarterback, and we didn't have the quarterback to get the ball to them. You know, so it was always something like that where it's like, okay, that's great. You're designing these great plays to scheme these guys wide ass open. Let's just simplify it, keep it simple, and just do what we need to do to pick up first downs and turn those first downs into trips to the red zone and convert in the red zone. And that's kind of bringing it back, you know, kind of full circle. That's not Satterfield or Rule's philosophy, which is, hey, you've got to scheme to the players you have. Yep. And and I, you know, I look at, at it with baseball. And the analogy that I write is like, look, if you're down four, six, however many runs, one home run's not going to win you the game. You need base runners. You need guys to be on board, you know, on base. You need you need singles and doubles. Uh, you know, and, and then you playing. you move the move the ball or, or you move the runners around. I'm sorry, what what's that, Hoss? I was gonna say we're basically playing the football equivalent of small ball. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it, it for what it is, it's enjoyable. You know, when you're winning, it is enjoyable just to you know by hook or crook. You know, you're finding a way to get it done. Right, and it's comforting to be like, okay, this is not their philosophy long term. They don't want to be playing small ball long term. But right now, it's like, hey. This is our best chance to win. You know what's better than winning? Nothing. 
stats don't you know in in that context like when people you know want to have great stats you know yeah go have great stats and lose pretty we saw what that feel we know what that feels like from 2021 it sucks yeah you know it's like win ugly go win a game that builds a culture you know confidence begets confidence and before and like in the meantime plug the holes in recruiting through the transfer portal through mm-hmm. continuous development that's the thing like i know some husker fans are like oh well you know satterfield's got to go what if it's like this next year it's probably not going to be like this next year because it's not like every guy on that offensive roster right now is going to stay exactly the same from right. 2023 2024 they're going to get better they've already gotten better you're already seeing development take place and you're seeing incremental improvement week over week just like we said at the very beginning of the season that we wanted to see a team that was better in game 12 than they were in game one and we've already accomplished that so far this season you know you get to the iowa game and it, let's say that the Iowa game is the same kind of low-scoring, you know, bloodbath that Nebraska-Minnesota was to start the year. Okay. That's, you know, the score that's pretty indicative of a Big Ten West football game. Mm-hmm. But if it's Nebraska, let's say it's Nebraska 17, Iowa 13, instead of losing 13 to 10 – we're a better team in week 12 than we were in week one because that means in a game like that, we fixed the issues that prevented us from winning in game one. Right. Real quick, I mean, I, I just want to touch on on the – and I know we've we've discussed these. I don't want to spend – we don't have to spend, but you talk about Nebraska's first scoring drive, uh, 15 plays, 87 yards, almost nine minutes of clock, 8.52 chewed up. And on Purdue's very next drive, about three plays in, four plays in, throw an interception. Tommy Hill, I think one of two that he had in the game. And then I loved this approach. And it's it's one that, you know, I, I think is underutilized or maybe it's attempted but never necessarily been successful. Uh, that's when Harburg <laughs> hit Jalen Lloyd uh, for the uh, 73-yard uh and and look, that was a thing of beauty because you you it's been a long time since we've seen Nebraska not just you know score, but such well, such good things happen in such quick order. We scored, we got an interception, and first play we scored again. And it went within in a minute and uh I don't know, a, a minute and here we go. I see it of game time, a minute forty nine seconds. Went from being, uh, you know, re- relatively nothing, nothing to fourteen zip, and that was the type of excitement that Memorial Stadium needed. Agreed. And how often have we seen us in the event that the rare event that we do ge- did generate a turnover in the past? Nope. How often did you see us just hand off to a running back on the next play, yep. or run the quarterback draw, or do something that is just like not taking advantage? of the situation psychologically momentum Mm -hmm. and not taking advantage of that big swing in momentum. You know, we saw it too many times and it really goes to show that rule as a head coach, it, it, he reminds me a lot of the way Bill Belichick coaches, you know, we can't have an episode without me mentioning (sighs) Belichick, but he dialed in 
to the flow of the game. You you don't see too many game management things get away from rule. About the only complaint that I have so far this year is probably running the option late against Purdue when both quarterbacks were just gas cans in terms of, you know, being turnover machines. I'm going to say it. If you're going to bring up double B every week, I'm going to bring up if you run the damn ball against Minnesota, you don't lose at Minnesota. We did run the damn ball. Not at the end. Not when it was crooked. When you threw the ball three times, three inters- incomplete passes, and then you have to kick the ball away. I'm telling you, you run the ball in those in the fourth quarter oh, more. I got you. I got I for a split. I was thinking of the last couple of drives. I agree. I agree because again, that's not our identity at the time. Like three straight passes is not our identity. It hasn't been at any point this season. I agree with you. All right. Well, let's let's talk about uh, the other side of the ball, or one of the other facets of the game, anyway. That's the defense, which did it again. They were put in some inopportune situations, and uh, to to borrow an old phrase, I've heard uh, for for a number of years from a number of sources, they made chicken salad out of chicken shit. Yep. Uh, not only that, but they held uh, for the first time in I don't know how many years. Uh, they held an opponent to less than a hundred yards receiving, less than a hundred yards rushing, uh, all in all. 195 yards for Purdue uh, in, in you know, it, it, there was an interception. Uh, there was a fumble recovery. This defense, man, they're, they're – Blocked a field goal. Block, I, was, I don't know if I could put that under special teams. I didn't know which way to go. It's, it's defensive special teams. Okay, fine. Um, I'm going to say this. I've been saying it. I've been, I've been beating this drum all season long. Quentin Newsom's my guy. He's a great all player. Right. He, he is – I'm I'm so glad that he's here because you know, and knock on wood, uh, th- his spotlight can, is is shining brighter than ever before. He's finally got the opportunity, I think, show what he can do. Um, from he had the, uh, I believe, a, a fumble recovery. He had the uh, the the he didn't block the field goal, but he picked it up and ran the other way. Uh, and was high fiving, I think Tommy Hill uh, down inside the ten to the five and in, in, into the end zone. I'm I've become such a, a bigger fan of it, and he's an elder statesman on the defense too. You know, he's the guy. I think fifth year. I think yeah, I think he's a fifth year senior. And and what he's brought, I think, to this defense. If, I don't know if there's a C on his jersey, but there should be. I agree, and you know what's funny? A year ago, right now. I know I took a about a year ago right now I took a step away from the podcast, you know. Yeah, we were going to talk about that sadness that that you caused. But um, you know, a year ago right now if this would have been, you know, if I would have been on then, we would have been talking about how it probably was going to take years, plural, to rebuild the defense. Tony White accomplishes it in one offseason. It's crazy, right? That's how good of a coach he is. That's why, you know, the highest paid defensive coordinator in college football right now is Jim Knowles at Ohio State. He's making $1.9 million. When Dave Aranda was at LSU before he left for the Baylor head coaching job, he was getting paid $2 million a year. We need to make it, We need to make Tony White the highest paid defensive coordinator in college football. We need to – I agree. I think we need to price every other school out of the market. If you, know. you got to pay him two and a half million dollars a year, it's worth it because without that defense, we're probably sitting at one or one or two wins, maybe even winless. You know, 
Um, so so Newsom's in there had finished with five uh, tackles. Phelan Sanford had six, uh, including uh, half a tackle for loss and a fumble. Re- oh, I'm sorry, wrong line. Uh, John John Bullock had seven tackles. Uh, Isaac Gifford with ten tackles, uh, including two tackles for a loss, and he had a pass breakup. Uh, but it's again this. I love looking at this uh, defensive list because everybody's busy. Um, Tommy Hill had two interceptions, you know, no tackles, but two interceptions. So that, so again, you know, his his presence is, is felt. Uh, Cam Lenhart had a tackle, um, and, and Ty Robinson a tackle, but everybody's chipping in. Uh, Prince Will Uman, um, crap. Uh, Uman, good job, good effort. Uman Malin, Malin, Uman Malin. Till I told a couple of couple of tackles. Uh, Henrich, Reimer, Omar Brown, who I, I feel like has been quiet since the Minnesota game, um, but he's in there. You know, uh, Omar with four tackles. I mean, just uh, you know, eight tackles for a loss again. Uh, a fumble, two interceptions. It was the kind of as we, as you mentioned earlier, and this is no secret, this is no, you know, nothing new. Nebraska defenses, as of late, have struggled to create turnovers, create opportunities. Uh, this is a different defense. If if the offense could get there together, we might actually have a positive. I mean, I'm not saying throughout the rest. I mean, all season long, if if the offense had their stuff together we might actually have a positive turnover margin. And I could tell you the last time that actually happened in Nebraska. Maybe 2009, but even then, <laughs> offense turned the football over a lot that year too. Um, one thing I wanted to say is when you got guys like John Bullock and Phelan Sanford in there, those are guys that in the past, you know, we probably would have, despite the Five Heart podcast name, we probably <laughs> would have uh, bristled up a little bit about, you know, saying, hey, is this the best that we got? You know, but – and that would have been, you know, a multitude of reasons, you know, Hey, did we whiff in recruiting that badly on other guys that this is the only option we have left? You know, are we not developing, you know, the more heavily recruited talent, but with this staff, they inherit these guys and yeah. then they just develop them. And that's what I hate to say this, but Iowa, when you got like Josie Jewell from nowheresville, Iowa and Jack Campbell and Jack Curran, guys that are from, you know, they're playing small town football. We're rec- and then we're over here at Nebraska recruiting highly recruited guys. And then Iowa is still putting together better defenses than we are in that time frame. But now we have the kind of staff that can develop those guys, which is going to ultimately help us in the long run because, you know, even though we recruit very well nationally, it's still good to be able to have that local in state footprint. And there is that cool thing about seeing guys from, you know, Nebraska and the NFL. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Nebraska, you know, so it's like, you know, it's th- this is the, such a developmental program that rule is building here. And to be five and three in year one through through eight games in year one with an offense that is in the, you know, I think like the bottom 20 in the country in scoring offense. And yet, I, 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 it's pretty damn low. <laughs> And yet still to have a punt more than a puncher's chance to win your division. Like I'm excited for what this thing's going to look like when it's operating at full sale, mm-hmm. you know, defensively when those pass rushers continue to develop 
And, you know, we're starting to get, you know, we're starting to get, you know, some of the DTs that the staff's after, or at least some of the linebacker prospects. It's going to be really fun to watch this defense evolve. It's going to be really fun to see the offense evolve. And, you know, to kind of it, the, the developmental aspect of it kind of has a lot of kind of a lot of roots with how the NFL likes to develop within their own systems. We're probably going to look a lot like a college version of the San Francisco 49ers is kind of my what 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 I kind of see that vision morphing into, especially offensively. And both teams have a purdy. Yeah, yes, yes. We both teams have a purdy. That's that's hey, the only parallel I could draw. <laughs> you know, um, I will say this: if you want to hear an outrageous thing, like if a weird season could get even weirder, it would be if Chuba Purdy had to step in these last four games because of injuries, and he pilots us to a division championship. Let's no more injuries, please. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. At this point, like I, I forgot what it feels like to have confidence in your coaching <laughs> staff, right? That like, okay, like for instance, last week, Turner Corcoran's out, uh, Ethan Piper's out. We got a whole mm-hmm. rash of new injuries going on, and I hear you know it's going to be Teddy Prohaska, maybe Gunnar Gatula at left tackle, Justin Evans Jenkins at guard, which Justin Evans Jenkins is going to be a very good offensive lineman for us in the future. I want to talk about that, but let's finish up where your thought here. Well, I was going to say is like when I heard Gatula might get in. I thought to myself, in years past, it'd be like, oh, fuck, a freshman left tackle? Great, you know? But now with this staff, it's like, well, damn, like, they're going to have him ready as what as much as they can. I feel like a freshman in their hands is uh, like a junior in the hands of the previous coaching staff. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, what were we going to say about Justin Evans Jenkins? Well, before we get there, because uh, I feel like that offensive line needs a little bit of attention. People were saying, oh, Matt Rule hit Temple first year, 2-10, and 10, Baylor 1-11. and 11. You know, he's he's going to burn it down to the ground and then, and then, you know, slowly build it back up. He has exceeded – I don't know if he's exceeded his own personal – but he's definitely exceeded – his own personal history mm-hmm. with probably more work that had to be done. And you know what? A lot of that comes from more experience. You know, I, I think, you know, I caught what he said on a uh, good morning football last November. He was on good morning football the day before Thanksgiving on NFL network last year. And he talked about, even though he failed in the NFL, it made him a better coach. And Matt Rule seems like a, you know, to dovetail with all our talk about incremental growth theory, Matt Rule seems like he's a big growth mindset guy. And you know what? I guarantee he doesn't view that as a failure in the NFL. He just views it more as a learning lesson. He probably right. took more lessons away from it. And he also inherited a better situation at Nebraska <laughs> than what he inherited at Temple, than what he inherited at Baylor in the wake of the Bryles uh, scandal. And so I always kind of figured, you know, we'd be good for five wins in year one under rule rather than, you know, just one or two wins. I mean, we're sitting at five with four to go. And, and more wins on the table. Yeah, more wins on the table. Like, you know, Ohio, Wisconsin played Ohio State really well. There's no denying that. 
But at the same time, like you look at Wisconsin and they are severely challenged in many different ways, you know, especially offensively. Maryland does not look as scary as they once did. Michigan, no, they, they lost to Illinois or something, didn't they? They lost to Northwestern. Oh, that's right. And Illinois. And Illinois. Yeah. Um, Mar- or Michigan State's in a state of free fall. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, well, they lost seven in a row, six in a row. I think they started two and oh, and I think they're two and two and six now. I'm on it. I'm on it. Um, standings. They are uh, two and six, zero oh and five in the conference. Uh, their only two wins have come at home, um, but they were two probably lesser teams when we get talking about. I mean, yeah, they played uh, Richmond State and won that one big, uh, and they played Central Michigan and won that one big. Uh, got whooped by Washington. No surprise there. Washington's a top five team. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they, they won their first two, Central Michigan and then Richmond. I didn't even know Richmond had a football team. I just thought they had basketball. Uh, which, yeah, uh, but then losing to uh, Washington, Maryland, Iowa, Rutgers, uh, Michigan, and Minnesota. So, um, and, and Michigan didn't pull any punches. Um, right. They they won that one 49-0. So, um, yeah, I mean, Rutgers, they played Rutgers close, lost by a field goal, lost by 10 to Iowa, uh, lost by 23 to Maryland, um, lost by three scores to Minnesota. I mean, 27 to 12. It's not a, not a good situation in East Lansing, and you're going to be there. Yes, I am. And uh, before we get to that, I just wanted to finish up the last thought on the last four games. Um, I think that there is a legitimate chance that we find a way to win the West. Uh, it, it, call it Kool-Aid, call it whatever. I'm going all in right here. I'm going all in. This is me. I can't dance, but this is the best you get. Um, I really honestly think that by the time – Sundown on November 24th, Nebraska will be either the West champion that night or pending the results of a game the next day on Saturday. They'll, you know, the West champion. And I'm willing to bet too that, you know, we haven't really addressed the sign stealing that Michigan's done on here. Do we need to? I, I only on one, only on one front because like, fuck, man, everyone does it. Everyone, like if you if you read like the article from the Athletic, they said that you know they interviewed a guy who steals signs for another team, you know, under the condition of anonymity, no. and he said he was like everybody does it. The trick is don't get got. And he goes, and part of that why Michigan got caught is because they were sending people in person. They're like, you can get all that information in game mm-hmm. if you know what to look for. They were dumb by breaking the NCAA rule about advanced off-campus scouting. Gotcha. You know? And so one, one thing I want to say about that Michigan game is last or when we played them on September 30th, there were a lot of instances, and I noticed this more on the, when we were on defense, there were a lot of instances where we would have a great alignment, we would be in a great call, and almost every time Michigan would check into a run that went the direct other direction from the blitz, nobody bats a thousand. Mm-hmm. I don't care how well prepared you are. So 
I do think that our defensive signals were stolen in that game. And offensively, you know, like maybe maybe we eke out another field goal or a touchdown if, you know, we're able to, you know, play on an even playing field, you know, in that game. Ultimately, I think our offense was always going to struggle. But I think our defense was good enough that I think in a game where our signals aren't being stolen, i.e. Indianapolis on December 2nd, if we were to make it there, I think you're looking at more of a game where, like, it's Michigan 27, Nebraska 14. And honestly, I would probably celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, even in a loss like that, you – You're competitive. You're competitive. You gain some credibility for what you're trying to do and what you're trying to establish. Imagine imagine if we go into Indy – if we were to do this, go in there at 9-3, and You lose to Michigan, you go nine and four. Nobody's gonna think less of you losing to Michigan while being competitive. Nine and four, probably and with the brand Nebraska brand that is all that pent-up demand from not going to a bowl game since the Obama administration, that'll probably get us a bump in what bowl game we actually get selected mm-hmm. for. Granted, I think nine and four and the conference runner up, I think would probably get us into a New Year's six bowl game. You know, really. I think the citrus would probably look at Nebraska. Well, we have some time to discuss that one. <laughs> as far as Michigan State. Well, hold on now, because we we I I I dip my toe, I put a pin in it. How do you think? I mean, uh, Justin Evans Jenkins. We had, uh, you know, we we had quite a bit of new faces on the line. Joey Mancino, Henry Lutovsky, they were all listed as starters. What did you see from the offensive line? Lutovsky still struggles at times. It looks like he's still trying to get used to the speed of the game, which could be a little concerning being a second-year player. But Justin Evans Jenkins is kind of in that mold of, you know, Neuilly, the German uh, left right guard. He's kind of in that same mold where he's an earth mover. You know, he really is able to root guys off the line of scrimmage, generate top of the pad lift and knock them back off the line. And so I think that him and Ben Scott there in the middle are a really solid combination there. Um, I think Latowski's still going to continue to develop over mm-hmm. time. I thought Mancino actually showed some decent things. Um, and then also I saw that link. Um also, I think that Jacob Hood could develop into a good right tackle in the future. It's funny. I uh, apologize for what is going to come off as a very stupid question, but I'm looking in this, folks. I get uh, our our stats and things like that are a little recap. And, and any time that I'm sounding like I, I'm reading something, it's because I likely am. Uh, I don't have that good of a memory. I'm not Haas. Uh, so what I'm looking at here is basically the starters for this past Saturday's game against Purdue. I see a quarterback. I see a fullback. I see a running back. I see two tight ends. I see a wide receiver. I see four offensive linemen, and I see one LB. Now, this might just be a mislabeling because it says uh, Corver Dema, number 54, is that do, do we have two number fifty fours? Like would that have been Ben Scott or who am I missing here? Bryce Benhart's number fifty four. Okay, so it's it's not me. Yeah, it's probably, them. probably just a typo. 
it's uh, yeah, they just see numbers and they just, you know, whatever. So, okay. Well, that, um, yeah. So then let's talk about that link that I sent you here. I wanted to give you just a, a, a head, a little bit of a heads up. Uh, but this is from on three. Look, this is all crystal ball stuff. We don't know how much of this is true, false, or somewhere in between, but the, uh, on three, uh, is it OU board? I guess yep. Oklahoma board speculating that Grant Bricks is a silent commit to Nebraska. Grant Bricks is a big boy with a big frame, but when you look at him, you know some some God given ability certainly. He's gonna he, need to hit the weight room a little. He's bit. gonna yeah, and and you, you look at the the his teammates running behind him. He's a man playing among boys, just size wise. So, but he needs to hit that. Division one weight room nutrition program and put on the right kind of weight. But if that's true, if Grant Bricks is indeed headed to Lincoln, what does that mean for the future? It means that they're able to sell the vision of what they want the offense to be moving forward. It means that, you know, they're able to sell the development that he's going to receive and Getting a win like that, that's the kind of guy that traditionally has gone elsewhere within the 500-mile radius and been a very good player for somebody else. So that mm-hmm. is huge to get that at Nebraska. So hopefully it pans out. You know, it. You know, it's a crazy last few months leading up to the early signing day in December, and it's always kind of, you know, it's a little disappointing on the recruiting front with losing um, Kiwan Lacey the running back commit who decommitted last week is, you know, there's some people down the state of Texas who think he's the best running back since Adrian Peterson to come out of the state of Texas. So oh, wow. hopefully you high, know, high praise. Yeah. Very high praise. <laughs> so hopefully there's the opportunity to kind of get him reeled back in, you know, reaffirm his commitment, but um, it's kind of between Nebraska, Alabama and Ole Miss. But I think the staff's doing a good job of being able to sell what they want this offense to look like moving forward and i think getting a guy like grant bricks would lend a degree of credibility it would legitimize the matt rule era i don't know much about uh bricks he's from is he from oklahoma well logan magnolia high school logan iowa iowa okay i don't know why i thought oklahoma you know western you know what they say about western iowa it's close enough omaha do what Biggest suburb of Omaha. You're right, right. Um, all right, so Iowa folks all lathered up. And then, uh, you know, we talked briefly about Justin Evans Jenkins. Uh, just good to see him out there again, getting reps, building confidence, and like you said before, going to turn into something real special. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, this Saturday, Nebraska, Michigan State, East Lansing, Hoss, you're going to be there. Yes, I am leaving Omaha at 7.30 a.m. and arriving to East Lansing probably 8.30, 9 o'clock Friday night and get a good night's sleep, get a solid breakfast on board next morning, tamp it down with a few pregame beers, and go watch Nebraska beat Michigan State. Do we – I'm going to try to preface this to the best of my ability – or not preface – ask this in a way that I don't know is this what are our biggest concerns about this game honestly it's the cornered animal theory they're in free fall 
Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're going to lose coach next year. They're losing guys to the portal. They did kind of find a freshman quarterback late in the game against Minnesota that kind of generated something. So I think right now you got to be concerned about if Purdue was talking shit last week about how Nebraska is Nebraska hasn't done anything in so long. Michigan State's probably looking at it like, hey, this is a great opportunity to remind Nebraska who they still are from the past few years and, you know, defend your, you know, defend your turf, defend your house, you know, and get right. So I'm more concerned with them from a mindset standpoint. Nothing Mm -hmm. they do offensively or defensively concerns me. I think that the key to this game is if we come out and – if we come out on offense and we stumble and bumble around, it's play we, into their hands. Yeah, we can't give them too much hope. We can't allow them to generate some false sense of hope. What we need to do is we need to go in there and find a way to just basically punch them in the mouth right from the opening kickoff. You know, set the tone early. If it's kicking off to them, it's getting a good kickoff, you know, and then it's setting up on defense and one, two, three and out, you know, snuffing out a drive with a big sack of the quarterback. You know, if we get the ball first on offense, I think it would do wonders for this team, our team, you know, the psyche and for the context of the game to go down there and get an early score Mm -hmm. and show them, you know, like, Hey, like we're rolling today because if we get up, if we were to get up 14 to 17, nothing, I think that that Michigan State will absolutely fold. The the one thing that Nebraska cannot afford to do is to receive the opening kickoff and then either on the kickoff itself or the next play, give it right back. Yeah, no, like this is, you know, you're on the road in the Big Ten Conference. You're in enemy territory. You got to have your shit strapped down tight. Yeah. You know, and like it comes down to start fast. And then finish, you know, start the game fast and finish the game out strong. Do not have the fourth quarter of fumbles and weird option pitches and, you know, just a general, you know, lack of attention to detail. Be dialed in all the way until the clock hits zero. It's feasible. We're, I don't know when we're going to record next week. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. With your travel schedule, um, take your laptop. Maybe we could record from the hotel room then that night. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if we if we win, I'm gonna be out, you know, probably partying or something, rubbing it in their face. Yeah. Then they'll probably be like, "Yeah, basketball season starts soon." I'll be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, like, but, but it's not basketball season. But it's not basketball season yet. Nebra, <laughs> um, I'm gonna leave you with this: a prediction and a a, a score prediction and a bold in game prediction. Okay. Bring it on. I don't know why I keep doing this. This is not a I am going to say Nebraska 22, Michigan State 6. My in-game bold prediction is we pitch a shutout all the way until the last few minutes of garbage time. Okay. Well, as you, the listeners, know I don't do my predictions here. It's not because I think less of Haas. It's just because I haven't formulated that prediction yet. So, <laughs> But I'll tell you this much. It's going to be a win. I don't have a score yet. Tune in on uh, Thursday. We'll go with Thursday for the score. Um, but anyway, Haas, 
Always great catching up with you, my friend. And uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but people watch our show. People listen to our show. They they join us live on uh, on for the Five Heart Podcast, and they say, "Greg, I love your show with you and Hoss." So we're doing good things here. Who's our number one fans over there? All of them. I can't pick a favorite. It's like picking a favorite child, Matt. Who's the, who's the fan that had some awesome stuff about Deion Sanders in Colorado? What was his name? Fred. Fred. Uh, Fred Sacco. Yes. Fred, if you're watching this. Big fan. You're a fan of us. I'm a fan of you. There you go. Uh, uh, and there we have it. That's this show. Um, I just completely blanked how we get out of this show because I do too many damn podcasts. <laughs> That'll do it for this uh, episode of the Coordination Overreaction. Thank you all so much for joining us, whether you are watching us uh, on YouTube or, or listening to us at home, uh, at work, or in the car via the podcast app of your choosing. For my good friend and broadcast buddy, Haas Reuter, I'm Greg Mahachko. This is Coordination Overreaction. Go Big Red. Win the damn game. <laughs>